Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. I want to introduce you to just a couple of uh, folks, or a few folks, because what uh, the reason why I want to introduce you to them is because it has so much to do, I think, with um, my message today. And um, so I kind of want to preach the announcement, so to speak. Does that make sense? <clears throat> when you come and discover uh, Vail Christian Church and you begin to say, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this place and uh, I think maybe I'd like to be a part of it. What we try really hard is to steer you into uh, a simple class we call the Trailhead class. It's the beginning of your journey of kind of discovering who we are. And in that journey, what you'll find is, or in that class, is that, um, that uh, you'll find that the heartbeat of Vail Christian Church is what we call community groups. They're just small groups of people that gather together. And um, um, it's something we expect and, and believe in and know and really drive, right? Okay, but in those groups then, you discover, I think, right off that uh, what it really means to be the church, right? It's the heartbeat of who we are. And so um, without community groups, then Vail Christian Church is kind of a place that you just go to, right? And there's nothing wrong with going to church, but what you discover in community groups is that we are the church. It's not just a place that we go to, right? It's who we are and how life in Christ is truly fleshed out. So we have this mantra called worship, gather, give, and serve. And in community groups, that's where it's really fleshed out best. So it's the heartbeat of who we are. It's what we want to see happen in your lives because that's where you discover uh, um, where you can be known and celebrated, where you can study, worship, gather, right? Eat, give, serve, all these things, it's fleshed out best in smaller communities. Because the big community is really good, but it really only exists to drive people into the smaller groups because that's where you're going to truly be discipled. And I think actually get intimate in worship and all those kinds of things. So we're launching two new ones. We launch them all the time, but we wanted you um, to kind of see some, just a couple of examples of uh, some new ones. So this is Oki and Nikki Metz, and they're launching a group of 20-something people. We know that when you are in your 20s, right, you, it's a seasonal life where um, there's just all kinds of really cool stuff. You guys stay up really late. You get up late in the morning. Yes, you do. I know. I know you guys, right? You can eat different food than I eat, because I just, all I do is just smell the food that you guys eat and I get fat, right? But you guys, your metabolism burns uh, quicker. You're just, I don't know, you're just really exciting, awesome folks. And so we're launching another group because we have all kinds of these, a group of just 20 something people and you guys are awesome people that uh, really love the Lord. And, um, and we're just excited. So if you're in that season of life, we really want you to meet the Mets, all right? Because uh, this might be a group for you. There's all kinds of other groups. And this is Glenda Dusick. She's launching another group, all right? And I would say it's a little bit more of uh, some seasoned people, right? 
Yeah, and uh, which is really exciting because in, in, um, in your season of life, right, you got kids like this and then grandkids, maybe even some great grandkids, and that's a pretty exciting place to be. So you're busy for a totally different kind of reason, right? You're always getting called on for um, food and babysitting and um, I need some shoes and, you know, other things and will you support me in this and right? And so that's an exciting time of life to be. And so we like to gather together a lot of times our seniors, right? And uh, launch another group. So this is, these are two exciting groups of people. Maybe you fit in one of these categories. I remember it being at Empire High School when we were renting Empire High School and we really didn't have a whole lot of seniors at Empire High School. And now it's pretty exciting that we do. So if, um, you know, by the way, you can, you can, you could probably be a part of either group, um, even though we're trying to steer um, some folks sort of in the, in certain seasons of life with these two groups. A lot of our groups are generational. The point is, we want you to be a part of a community group. So if you're not in one, maybe these are a couple of people you could talk to today. They'll be here after the service. So thanks, you guys, for letting me use you as an illustration. What awesome people to utilize that way. So, um, oh, get in a community group. Now, let's talk about this teaching series that we're in. We're in the Gospel of Mark. Oh, the Gospel of Mark is so great. Right? He jumps right in, right at Jesus's, when Jesus' ministry is start, started, right? He doesn't go through the Christmas stuff and the genealogy and all that. All the, you know, that's good, but this Gospel is probably the first one. One of the first things that we discover about the Gospel of Mark is remember that the church is already birthed by the time this, this uh, gospel is delivered. This good news that, uh, about Jesus and an account uh, of his life through the memories of Peter, like Mark uh, uses uh, Peter and his journey, his memories, his experiences, right? That's Mark uh, writing down this, um, this gospel. Um, oh, it's such a great thing. But they've already got the gospel. Peter's already been preaching. Pentecost has already happened. The first century church has been birthed. Uh, they got Paul's letters, so they have the gospel, all right? There's already persecution taking place. So this gospel is now introduced, right? And it's probably the first gospel uh, that's introduced out of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, probably the first one. And Mark has this unique way of writing, right? He's very matter-of-fact in some ways, his favorite word is immediately because he just moves quickly, right? Oh, he has a way of writing in a broad sense to a lot of folks that are not church people, but maybe know about church kind of stuff. Um, all right, so he introduces this account of Jesus. And then so what we discover is he jumps in right at the beginning. And what you find is Jesus is starting a revolution. I mean, he is shaking up Israel's national identity. He's really monkeying with that, Jesus is. And uh, so he's aggravating people. He's very controversial. At this point where we are in chapter four, so go ahead and turn to Mark chapter four. At this point, some people are entrenched already into a couple of different camps, okay? It's a critical juncture in the study Right now, in the midst of fixed opposition. So people, uh, there's a group of folks that are in opposition to his message. Oh, man. Right? It's, uh, they don't like it. When you change people's worldview, when you mess with people's national identity, you just rile people up. And it's easy to divide people. We already know this, right? Just mess with the national anthem at 
a football game and there you go. That's all you have to do. And you, 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 it, it's easy to do that. You know, so you have this one side of people and I'm not choosing a side. But just talk to police officers, people in the military, you know, people that feel like they're just really patriotic, you know, just mess with that and you just really mess them up, right? Well, what about the, uh, you know, the, the, the other side of things and the way they view life and where they grew up and the color of their skin and all that kind of stuff, right? Oh, it's divisive. That's, uh, um, that's, that's what's happening here. Jesus is messing with the national identity of a group of people that thought it was going to turn out like this. In a political sense, you know, Messiah was probably, you know, they could see him coming with a sword and changing things politically. What about uh, the Herodians and Rome uh, and, and their view and Herod, right? You know, oh man. And then the, the, the Jewish zealots, oh, and not to mention the church leaders, right? The, the Pharisees, the lawyers of the law, the chief priests, Oh, the sacrificial system, all this. Man, he is really shaking it up. So he goes into the synagogue, he teaches in the synagogue, and, then he, and he doesn't teach like any rabbi. You know, they start quoting each other, and everybody's like, man, I can't even understand what you're saying after you get done. So, um, but Jesus teaches with authority. He heals people, miracles, all this kind of stuff, transforming people's lives. And then he takes it out of that. And of all places, he, he starts preaching it in, in a house, in a home, in Peter's home, right? Oh, cleansing the leper. Um, just, you know, so he's gathering a crowd. Oh, and he's gathering them around in people, you know, tax collectors and sinners and everything like this. And people are just... What are you doing? Even his own family we found, right? Ah, so here we are now. So that's just a quick little review. But first, um, he changes his method of teaching. So he goes to the open air now, and he starts teaching exclusively in parables. Parables. Why parables? They're so cryptic, right? They're so veiled. He does this for a couple of reasons. Two reasons. Because he knew if the, he was just to continue to announce the kingdom of God, it was dangerous to his own life, all right? It was going to shut everything down. He's either going to get killed or put in jail or stoned or, you know, messed up some way, right? So the truth had to be disguised in parables or these people, you know, he, he might lose the freedom to just do all this. So that's what he does. They're dense with meaning and they're hard to understand, actually, if you're just going to skim over and only scratch the surface. You got to do a little bit of work. And the second reason Jesus taught in parables is that by shrouding the truth of the kingdom in a veil of secrecy, only, um, only those who gave their full attention to the mystery would comprehend its message. So if you dug deeper, if you really paid attention, if you really listened, if you really embraced his message and you took it to a new place, then it would ignite this flame in your heart and it would transform you. So that's why there's a dual nature to these parables. They conceal the truth from the enemy, but they reveal it to the lovers of the Savior. It was, a, it was brilliant, it was brilliant. Now today, where, where we are in, the, in, the, in these last two parables, okay? You gotta 
think like this. There's, they're, they're, they're so rich. There's not only these dual meanings, but you have to be able to, rem- uh, you have to know that the, that the word seed, it's used 12 times in chapter four, 12 times, seed. Seed, the word seed, it represents the word of God. So every time you hear the word seed, and when you're thinking about the word seed, just remember God's word. This, God's word, the truth, the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus and what he's all about. Oh, and it's rich and it's thick. And think about the word of God and how it has the power to change your life, to miraculously break you. You know what I mean? To bring you to your knees, to humble you, to to clearly tell you which way to go, to shape your thinking. The word of God is so powerful. So the seed, right? The seed. The other thing is, is that you should be able to see in this parable, it, it, it mirrors what the word of God does in our life as well as what it does in an agricultural sense, right? Do you like to garden? Do you like uh, to see things grow? I really love it. I really love that. I love getting my hands in the dirt. I have um, some fruit trees and some things like that. I love, my dad loved it, right? I love planting tomatoes and getting all that. I have a lemon tree that seems to produce so many lemons that I have to give them away. There's just thousands of lemons on this little, actually it's a dwarf lemon tree. And it just produces thousands of lemons. I love it. I take care of it. I monitor it. Oh, have you ever just taken an avocado seed pit thing and just put toothpicks in it and set it in a glass of water? Have you done that with your kids? And watch it like grow roots and everything. And then, and then you can just plant it. You know, you can... Have you ever done something like that or just take some little uh, seeds and plant them in those little teeny things inside your house and watch them sprout and all that kind of stuff? I know we live in the... And there's... I know. The technology... The devil is alive in the technology today. That's why I'm using this microphone. I feel like T.D. Jakes. He speaks with a microphone like this. Normally I got that thing, you know. But mine is been possessed by the devil. And I cast it out into the trash and it broke earlier. We're going to buy a new one. I don't care how much it costs. All right. Do I got you all up to speed? Right? Okay. Oh, there's mysteries contained in these first parables. And they're essential for the discipleship or for the disciples to understand how the kingdom grows. How does the kingdom grow? How does it grow? How do we grow? How does the church grow? How does the kingdom grow? How does all of this happen? Well, these parables teach the disciples how it, how it all happens. And in the first parables, Jesus spoke of four different kinds of soil. You remember that? Four different kinds of soil, right? And the first three, you know, it was total failure in the first three. And I always focus on the first three, but it's the fourth one, the fertile soil where the seed takes root, where the fruit bearing is up to a hundred times the produce of, of, uh, of just one seed. I mean, it's, it's just miraculous. It overwhelms the failure by, by so much, it's unbelievable. All right, so it's that good soil that we, you know, we need to strive to be the good soil. He's trying to encourage his disciples to be the good soil. And in the midst of this, oh, 
well, I'm getting ahead of myself, right? Let's just go uh, to that Isaiah passage because Isaiah, the prophet, he speaks of how this is going to happen, what's going to happen, right? He reveals this. He, 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 he envisioned in all of this harvest and everything, the fulfillment of all of this. When Messiah comes, he envisioned it like this. He says, the rain and the snow fall from the sky and do not return. But instead, water the earth and make it produce and yield crops and provide seed for the planter and food for those who must eat. In the same way, the promise that I make, this is God's word, right? This is God speaking. The promise that I make does not return to me having accomplished nothing. No, when I spread the seed, right? When it happens, no, it's realized as I desire and is fulfilled as I intended it. When you put the seed in the soil, it's going to produce fruit. That's totally what Isaiah is, uh, God is saying through Isaiah. This is the way it's going to happen through Messiah. Through Messiah. Okay. Now, let's go to the parable of the man and the growing seed. Now, you got all this imagery. It's a mirror image. It's just rich and thick. It's just overlaid over and over with all kinds of truth. Starting in verse 26, he said, he also said, the kingdom of God is like someone who spreads seed on the ground. He goes to sleep and he gets up night and day so that he has this rhythm of, you know, working and sleeping and, go, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how, right? You don't get to see that. I mean, you know, we know we live in the 21st century and you can, you can actually use these little cameras and you can see how it goes, right? But just think first century just a little bit. He doesn't know how this happens. You plant the seed in there, it covers up the dirt, and then, all right. By itself, the soil produces a crop. By itself, all right? Now, that's a key thing. First the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. And when the grain is ripe, he sends in the sickle because the harvest has come, so it's ready. So the parable, which reveals the mystery of spiritual growth. Here it is. It's all contained right here. It's really significant. It has implications of how we carry out ministry, how it's supposed to go, how discipleship is supposed to be fleshed out in the church. And he's saying the kingdom of God, it's like a man who, you put seed out in the soil, and, it, and he goes to bed at night and he gets up the next day, literally sleeps and rises. Or when you think about this, when you put a seed into the ground, you know what happens? It actually dies. And then something is birthed. When the seed is planted, when the truth is planted in your house, in, in your heart, before it takes root, what has to happen? You have to die. You have to die. You have to die to self. Your old self has to die. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you know what you're saying? You know what you're signing up for? I'm dying. I'm giving up my life. I'm giving up my life. Just start thinking like that. That's how you got to think through this parable and this seed and how it mirrors us, right? Okay. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, or the stalk, then the head, then the mature grain in the head, right? And when the crop decides... He immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We don't decide when that is. Okay, all these implications, it's huge. So let's look at the way of the seed and the way the seed imitates the way of man. So there's a couple things to point out here. First, the, the 
intimate connection between the man and the seed. So we are, you have to be, we must be connected to God's word, the seed. Then the seed on the ground, it becomes a mirror of your life. Just as he sleeps and rises, so the seed dies and sprouts to new life. And second, just as he's involved in the three progressive actions, right? Spreading and then sleeping and rising. The seed has three progressive stages. First, the stalk, the head, then the full grain. You know, man, it's just rich, isn't it? And the man works his way through the field. He sees how it's all uh, the growth of the seed and he sees his own life mirrored until with the passing of time, progressive growth leads to a real harvest. Once the seed takes root in your heart, what happens? When you start and you, you come to maturity, right? There's a harvest and, it, and it, it's, it's like a self-winding watch. It just keeps perpetuating itself. When you come to Christ and he grabs a hold of you and he transforms your life, if it's truly happened, you cannot keep it to yourself. You just want to, you just want to reproduce it, right? That's what happens. That, 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 that's that harvest. That's, that's what happens at that reaping. It all is connected. So the way of the seed is intimate, intimately connected to the ways of man, to, to us. And the way of the seed and the, and the, um, is also, here, here's the next thing. There's a distance between the man from growth. Let's just talk about that just really briefly, right? The daily routine of sleeping at night and rising at day, it provides the passing of time, necessary growth, but also distance man from the growth. In other words, we don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> we go to sleep and God does all this work. You can try to manage it all you want. You can be a nervous farmer, I guess, so to speak, and try to force it and do all these things. Sometimes we get trapped in this as Christ followers and we don't realize what we're doing. And we, 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 do, we can do this, you can do this with your children and other people, but you can lead them along in a way to where they're just parroting back. Parrot, you know how a parrot says things back to you that you keep repeating and then all of a sudden they're saying it and it seems as though they're saying all the right things, but they don't actually own it themselves, Right? And that's where uh, we kind of take control of things and we guide things and we force things and we do things sometimes. Listen, don't do that, right? We're not needed. There needs to be a sleep time, a surrender time, a time when you die and you let go and you allow God to take hold of things. And he's the one that produces the growth and does all this miraculous stuff. And there's a... But, but, but we hang on to things and we try to force things and, we, you know, and we're hoping for, for, for things and there's nothing wrong with hoping and being concerned and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying you shouldn't guide and nurture any of this, but there's a, a surrender and a dying part that we need to model to our kids and to others, right? Where you let go of your life and you surrender and you put up the white flag and you say, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to allow God to do it. He's in control, and if I would just surrender my life to him, it's amazing how life would unfold in a miraculous way. That's when germination takes place, and then things sprout. But we just won't do it. We will not let go. We, we're, we're, no, 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 no. I, I have to be in control of everything, right? I, I get it. I get it. 
But there it has to be a time where you actually live by faith and trust God and walk. And walk by faith and allow God to do his work. And when you do, he will break it and a miraculous germination takes place and takes root in people's lives. We're responsible for the spreading, for the sowing. We're also then got to let go and sleep. It's, it's an amazing concept, isn't it? It's not just a concept, it's an amazing truth. That was a total misspeak, right? Israel thought God would come and he would work and it's in a dramatic way, a sudden way. You know, and sometimes, uh, you know, people are expecting this just like craziness to take place in this, you know, in this like, Wah, you know, uh, kind of thing. And, and it's not the way it actually takes place when God transformed your life, your, your life. It's not some, I don't know that it should be just this emotional, dramatic thing. In fact, I don't trust it most of the time. People just don't walk down the aisle anymore and say, man, I'm giving my life to Jesus this Sunday after Pastor Ben preaches. It doesn't work that way in our culture, and I don't trust it that way anymore. It, uh, the, the Word of God has to take, uh, ha, um, the truth says, there is a time for sleep and germination for things to sprout and to take root. We're just not very patient with that. Well, let's look just a little further at the three secrets that cultivate spiritual life. What are the three secrets? Oh, man, there's huge things, right? Like I said, there's, there's the spreading, sleeping, and reaping. So first, the kingdom of, grow, uh, of God grows by deliberate activity of spreading the word in good soil. Oh, deliberate activity. So if there is no deliberate activity of spreading in your life, there will be no harvest, no reap. Well, I go to a church, and, and tr believe me, there's an expectation that Pastor Ben would be spreading the seed. And all of our staff should be spreading the seed. And our youth pastor, he needs to be good at spreading the seed in my children's lives and, our, you know, and all that. And, and I'm not saying they should. They, they are, and I want that too. But, you know, we kind of then sit back and expect everybody else to be doing it but the expectation is here that we're, we all got a bag of seed if you're a Christ follower. It's the design, it's the, it's the, it's the plan, it's the strategy. You got a bag of seed. Are, are, are you spreading it? Are you spreading it? Oh, I love this painting. It's a Van Gogh. It's worth a lot of money. Van Gogh is awesome. He paints in this style. It's just a guy with a big bag of seed spreading it. Remember, the seed is God's word. So if you don't know it, you don't use it, you don't, you know. If the spine on your Bible will not, it, will not allow the Bible to open up like that, that means you just haven't cracked it very much. If your Bible is nice and clean, I just, I, I don't know, I just, see what I'm saying? I'm getting a little preachy, but that's okay, isn't it? I mean, this is the plan. Spread the seed. Don't just let Pastor Ben do it. Come on, you all have relationships I can't even come close to getting to. I can't invade Raytheon because I am not an engineer and they're not gonna hire me over there. You better be spreading the seed 
at IBM or in the school district or in, you know, wherever you work. I don't, I don't care where it is. Spread the seed. Oh, all right. So the second secret to cult, you know, it's kind of a secret, right? The second one is what? Well, the sleeping one. We already talked about it. We got to let go so God can work with the seed, cause it to germinate and sprout. Can't control it. I already talked about that. I got ahead of myself. Sometimes it's painful because we want to see things happen faster than they do. And then they, you know, but it doesn't work like that. Go to sleep, surrender, give up, die to self, model it to everybody else around you. Our daily rising and sleeping has, you know, it's got to serve as a continual reminder that if we want God to enter into our daily activity of spreading the seed, we have to learn to sleep. <laughs> or die. The seed dies. If it doesn't die, it doesn't germinate and then sprout. Okay. So we spread, and then we sleep, and then we reap. When the grain's ripe, he sends in the sickle. You know what a sickle is, right? Eh, that's it. I don't know. We don't have it anymore. We use big tractors and stuff. It's just a big wooden curved thing with a handle on it and a big blade, you know? Yeah, you see the, the grim reaper carry one of these things. <laughs> right? But the sickle is really important. It's how you cut it all down and then gather it all up, all the, all the fruit. Jesus sends out his disciples two by two in Mark chapter six. They spread the words and then the apostles expect, expected to reap the spiritual fruit in people's lives. So it's a big, big deal. Time, you know, and after this happens, and you see this pattern with Paul throughout his letters where um, he, he, he teaches the churches, he teaches Christ followers, they spread the seed, they preach the gospel, the word takes root, people give their lives to Jesus, people come to Jesus, right? And then they celebrate, and he, they celebrate through worship services, and he writes letters, and he thanks people, and they recognize people. People are baptized. Our version of this, in, in, in a lot of ways, is a baptism event. We have baptisms, we create an event so that everybody can gather around to witness uh, to see, to hear people's story and testify, uh, testimony, they're testifying. My life has been transformed and changed. The seed, the word of God has transformed me, made me new. And it's, it's this big picture of dying and rising, right? And being made new and transformed. So we all gather around. There's a reason why the baptistry is in the middle of the courtyard. It's an architectural design to celebrate the harvest. That's what it is. I've said it probably eight times now over the course of this series. You're going to listen to me say it again? You already know what I'm going to say, right? Because it happens. Not so much you guys, because you guys are the third service people. You know, you've slept in a little bit, or you've had Sleeping in is not bad. That's what I'll be coming to the eleven o'clock too. So I love you, right? Normally we do baptisms after the first and after the second service. So you got to come if you're in this service a little bit early to see it in between, right? So if you come in late, you don't get to see those. So come early because they're out there and it's, it's an important time. I mean, this is what it's all about. It's the harvest time, this reaping, these testimonies, it's motivating. 
It's where we give thanks and we celebrate and we're recharged. It's a picture and an image of everything that we do and why we do it. And in, a, I think it's in two weeks. I don't know. It's, I can't keep track of everything. It's ridiculous because there's so much, there's so much agricultural stuff happening at Vail Christian Church, so to speak, right? We're going to baptize 13 people in the next event. Maybe 14. I don't know. We can't, I, I can't even keep track of how many. It's, it's, it's going to be huge. We're probably going to baptize people after each service. It'll be, you know, we've only done that a few times. We have enough to do four people. All right, anyway, I'm getting that way. But that's it. That's, this is the reaping. Now, now listen, just a couple more things. Let's go to the parable of the mustard seed. Let's just go. Because this is the next one. Now, after all this, this agricultural stuff, then this mustard th- seed thing. This is crazy, actually. This is rich. So starting in verse 30, he also asked, to what can we compare the kingdom of God? You know, can, what kind of other picture can I give you when it comes to describing or teaching you about the kingdom? Or what parable can we use to present it? Oh, I know. It's like a mustard seed that we sow, that we that when sown in the ground, even though it's the smallest of all the kinds of seeds in the ground, when it is sown, it grows up, becomes the greatest of all the garden plants, and grows large branches so that the wild birds can nest in the shade. Now, most of the time when you read this, you're like, you thinking of a big gigantic tree eventually? No. Yeah, I, I don't know. See if you can tell me where the mustard tree is. You see, it's that little spindly thing right there in the middle. All right, I searched all over Israel. I'm looking for a mustard tree, you know, a mustard seed that grows into a tree. That's it. Now, you can't quite tell, but it's about 12 feet tall right there, and it's kind of spindly, and it doesn't look like it's going to hold a lot of birds. I can't give you all the reasons. I've done a lot of work with this, but um, in, in the first century church and in Palestine, they were really clear. We get focused on the tree part and how big it's supposed to be. And what you need to focus on is how small the seed is. The seed, you know, if I showed you a picture of the seed, you couldn't see it. But if you put it in your hands, it's just the smallest little tiny stuff. If you just went, you know, it would blow, it would blow away because it's just teeny, teeny, teeny. You know, just think of like one of those, uh, like pepper flakes or something like that. It's just really small, really small. So in comparison, if you're thinking about gardening, right, in, uh, in, in your garden, when you plant this seed in your garden, it becomes the biggest plant in the garden kind of thing. Think about it like that. Don't focus on so much these, you know, gigantic trees around here. If you go to Israel, you don't see a lot of big old gigantic trees. This is, that's not the way it is, especially in the first century. There's not a huge amount of big trees anyway, okay? Unless they're imported from somewhere else and then now they grow. All right, so if you get past that just a little, little bit and just the image and the, the idea of tree, it's common Old Testament usage 
to refer to a king and his kingdom and all this kind of stuff. Ezekiel 17, go ahead and put that verse up there. This is what, so here's the prophet and, and uh, God speaking through the prophet. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'll take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and plant it. I'll pluck it from the top of the one of its tender twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. I will plant it on a high mountain of Israel. And I will, I will raise branches and produce fruit. And it will become beautiful cedar. Every bird will live under it. Every winged creature will live in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I make the high tree low. I raise the low tree. I make the green tree wither and I make the dry tree spout. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. In other words, this is the way it's going to happen. This strategy, when you plant it, it's going to grow and everything is going to be consumed by it or come to it. It will, it, it will dominate the way life is. This is the way the kingdom works. Now I know when you look at that spindly looking thing, you're like, what? But I'm telling you, it takes over and it becomes something that is unbelievable. And it's about, here's the, here's the lesson right here. The fact that the mustard seed is the smallest seed, all right, that's where the lesson is. The point is clear. You shouldn't be discouraged by what looks insignificant or small. When you spread the seed, it may, be, it may appear to be small and insignificant, but I'm telling you, the power and the plan and the strategy is enormous because you and I sit here and there's a church in Vail here because of the first century seed that was planted. <laughs> do, you, do you understand? How many churches now exist? How many Christ followers? How has it traveled? How, what does the kingdom look like now? And when Jesus was teaching right here, I mean, man, it is really out of control. And if you just keep going back to the prophets in Isaiah and how it was supposed to take place, right? Isaiah 53, Isaiah says, you know, God says through Isaiah, he spread it up like a twig before God, like a root out of part soil. He had no stately form or majesty that, would, that, that might catch our attention, no special appearance that we should want to follow him. He was just he like, what? Who is this guy? He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with uh, illness and um People hid, that means he was, he was a man. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and we considered him insignificant. God says through the prophet Isaiah. He also says in Isaiah 11, 1, a shoot will grow out of Jesse's rootstock. A bud will sprout from his roots. This rootstock of Jesse will bear great fruit. This is going back to the lineage uh, where Jesus came from and all that. We don't have to get into that. But Jesus comes on the scene and he changes everything. Eventually, the person in whom these insignificant seeds are planted has a broader influence than any university, any government. And to our amazement, it, it just... It, um, it, it, it grows in a way to where it takes over and transforms and changes everything. Have you seen God's word? Have you seen the word of God, the seed, transform and change somebody's life, including your own?
see how powerful it is and what the strategy is? So there's implications here. Don't be discouraged by simple or small beginnings. And the conclusion of the parables, verse 33. So with many parables like these, he spoke the word to them and they were able to hear. He didn't speak to them without a parable, but privately he explained everything to his own disciples. Mark begins this section to an end by saying that Jesus continued to speak the word of God to them, but he disguised it in parables. It's an organic process. It's a personal process. He spoke to them. They're able to hear it. It was cryptic. It was divisive. It was all these things, right? One group was swallowed up in love. The other group was left to petrify in their own petty private universe. Let me say it like this. I can't answer everything. I can't, do, I can't do all the work for you. You have to allow the seed, all right, to work in your own, uh, the, the, the soil of your own life. I can't give you all, I, I can't do it all. Let me just ask it like this and see if you can do it yourself. Because I believe that the seed is this powerful, this divine, this is the way it's supposed to work. I can do it in one question. If if you know anything of the truth, if you have any inkling, all right, if you're interested in any way in, what, in anything that's been said, let me ask it like this. One question remains. Which group do you belong to? The petrified group or the group that's like, ah, oh. you hear it and you love the Savior. Which group do you belong to? It presents you with all kinds of choices, doesn't it? It's really two choices. But all kinds of things to consider when you bow your head and allow the Holy Spirit of Holy Spirit of God to kind of do his work. Talk to you in some simple way, maybe some profound way, I don't know. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart today? What is God saying to you today? What does he want to do? Is your heart fertile soil? He's trying to get that seed in there. It's made its way in there. Are you ready to sit up and surrender and say, man, I'm, I'm so tired of doing it my way. I'm not doing it this way anymore. It's, this is total truth right here. Is he knocking on your heart? Is he giving you that pit in your stomach where you're just like, oh man, what is happening? That is God knocking on your heart. That's the seed at work. It wants to germinate and sprout in your life. Are you ready? It's as simple as saying, Lord, <laughs> I'm sinful and I need a savior. I'm ready. I am ready. He'll take root in your life today if you want. Put up the white flag and surrender. What about, what about maybe God is saying, you know, you have not been intentional about spreading anything. I give you this bag of seed and you just leave it in your, you just leave it in the garage. (laughs) You don't do anything with it. You expect harvest. You want all these things to happen. Maybe you're in the place where you've been spreading the seed, but you're just like not sleeping. (laughs) You're not dying to yourself every day. Or, yeah, you're just not getting it. So you're one of these people that it's easy to just walk right past the baptistry because it's like, well, not here to make you feel bad, but I'm not defending God's word. This is the truth and the truth sets us free and this is the way it works. And the power is magnificent. Thank you, God, for these truths. And we pray that we might embrace them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.